Hello and welcome to Storytime with Bemsi, where we read stories together and talk about them. Or rather, where I read stories to you and tell you what I think about them. Today's story is The Birds of God, and it was written by Mia Kuto. Mia Kuto is a writer from Mozambique. His full name is actually Antonio Emilio Kuto. He started his career as a medical doctor, but then suspended his studies to work for a while as a journalist. Later on in his life, he returned to these studies, but finished his training as a biologist. Today, he works uh, as a biologist employed by the Great Limpopo Transfrontier Park, uh, but he's still active as a writer and works on other writing projects. In today's story, we follow a character by name Ernesto Timba as he deals with the emotions surrounding an interesting occurrence in his life. Without any further spoilers, here is The Birds of God by Mia Kuto. Begging your pardon, I don't know anything more like a pilgrim than the river. The waves pass by on a journey which has no end. For how long has it been water's job to do that? Alone in his old dugout, Ernesto Timber measured his life. At the age of 12, he had entered the school of pulling fish from the water. Ever in the waft of the current, his shadow had reflected the laws of the river dweller for the last 30 years. And what was it all for? Drought had exhausted the earth. The seeds were not fulfilling their promise. When he returned from fishing, he had nothing to defend himself from his wife and children, who impaled him with their eyes, eyes like those of a dog he was loath to admit. But the truth is that hunger makes men like animals. While he contemplated his suffering, Timber made his craft glide slowly along. Under the Mafurera tree, there on the bank where the river narrows, he brought the boat to rest so that he might drive away his sad thoughts. He allowed his paddle to nibble the water and the dugout clung to the stillness. But he could not stop his thoughts. What life have I lived? Water. Water. Just nothing else. As it rocked to and fro, the dugout caused his anguish to multiply. One day they'll fish me out of the water, swallowed up by the river. He foresaw his wife and children watching him being pulled up from the mud, and it was as if the roots of the water were being torn up. Overhead, the Mafurera retained the sun's fierce dispatch, but Timba wasn't listening to the tree. His eyes were peeping into his soul and it was as if they were blind, for pain is a dust which drains light away. Still higher above, morning called, and he caught the smell of the intense blue. If only I belong to the sky, he sighed, and he felt the burden of thirty years of tiredness upon his life. He remembered the words of his father, uttered to teach him courage. See the hunter there, what he does. He prepares a spear the moment he sees a gazelle, but the fisherman can't see the fish inside the river. The fisherman believes in something he can't see. That was the lesson of the bound to be of life, and he now recalled those wise words. It was getting late, and hunger told him it was time to go home. 
He began to move his arm while casting a last glance upwards beyond the clouds. It was then that a huge bird passed over the sky. It was like a king, pleased with his own majesty. The creature, high on the wing, held his eyes and an uncanny anxiety took root within him. He thought, if that bird were to fall on my canoe now. He uttered these words aloud. Hardly had he finished speaking than the bird shook its huge wings and quickly flew in a downward spiral towards the boat. It fell as if expelled from life. Timber picked up the damaged bird and holding it in his hands, saw that the blood had not yet unbuttoned its body. In the boat, the animal gradually recovered until it stood up and climbed onto the prow to take stock of its survival. Timber grabbed it, weighed its flesh in order to work out how many meals it would provide. He put the idea out of his mind and with a shove, helped the bird take off. Be off with you, bird. Go back from where you came. But the bird turned round and headed back to the boat. The fisherman once again drove it away. Yet again it returned. Ernesto Timba began to despair. Get back to your life, you bloody bird. Nothing. The bird didn't move. It was then that the fisherman began to wonder. That thing wasn't a bird. It was a sign from God. The warning from heaven would destroy his peace of mind forever. Accompanied by the animal, he returned to the village. His wife celebrated his homecoming. Let's have this bird for lunch. Delighted, she called the children. Little ones, come and see the dicky bird. Without answering, Timba placed the bird on the mat and went to the back of the house to fetch some wooden boards, wire and reeds. Then he set to work to build a cage so large that even a man could fit inside standing up straight. He put the animal inside and fed it the fish he had caught. His wife was flabbergasted. The man was mad. Time passed and Timba only cared about the bird. His wife would ask, pointing at the bird, Seeing as how hunger is pinching us, don't you want to kill it? Timba would raise his arm emphatically. Never. Whoever touched the bird would be punished by God would be marked down for life. And so the days passed by while the fisherman awaited fresh signs of divine intentions. Countless times he lingered in the moist afternoon heat while the river sat there in front of him. When the sun went down, he would go and check the cage where the animal was growing ever fatter. Little by little, he began to notice a shadow of sadness fall over the sacred bird. He realized the creature was suffering because it was lonely. One night, he asked God to send the solitary fowl a companion. The following day, the cage had a new inmate, a female. Timba silently thanked the heavens for this new gift. At the same time, anxiety took root in him. Why had God entrusted him to keep these animals? What might be the message they brought? He thought and thought. That sign, that lightning flash of white plumage, could only mean that heaven's humor was about to change. 
if men would agree to dispense their kindness to those messengers from heaven, then the drought would end and the season of rains would begin. It had befallen him, a poor fisherman of the river, to play host to God's envoys. It was his task to show that men could still be good. Yes, that true goodness cannot be measured in times of abundance, but when hunger dances in the bodies of men. His wife, who had returned from the Machamba, interrupted his thoughts. So there are two of them now, are there? She came over, sat down on the same mat, and looking long and hard into her companion's eyes, said, Husband, the pot's on the fire. I'm asking you for the neck of one of them, just one. It was a waste of time. Timba promised severe punishment to whomever mistreated the divine birds. In time, the couple had chicks. There were three of them, clumsy and ugly, the gullets ever open, enough appetite to empty the river. Timba toiled on behalf of their parents. The household provisions, already so scarce, were diverted to feed the co-op. In the village, the rumor went around. Ernesto Timba was stark raving mad. His own wife, after many a threat, left home taking with her all the children. Timba didn't even seem to notice his family's absence. He was more concerned with ensuring his poultry's protection. He detected a spirit of envy around him, vengeance hatching itself. Was it his fault that he had been chosen? They said he had gone crazy, but he who is chosen by God always wanders off his path. Then, one afternoon when he had finished his work in the river, a feeling of uncertainty set his mind aflame. The birds! He set off home at a rush. When he got near, he saw a pall of smoke rising through the trees around his house. He paddled his dugout towards the riverbank, jumped out without even tying it up, and began to run towards the scene of the tragedy. When he arrived, all he saw was wreckage and ashes. The wood and wire had been chewed up by the flames. From between the boards, a wing, untouched by the fire, sought to save itself. The bird must have hurled itself against the wall of flames, and the wing had got away, an arrow ominously pointing towards disaster. It was not swaying to and fro, as is the obsession of dead things. It was rigid, full of certainty. Timber stepped back, appalled. He shouted for his wife, for his children, and then, on discovering that there was nobody else to shout for, he wept such copious tears of rage that his eyes hurt. Why? Why had they harmed these birds, pretty as they were? And there and then, amidst all the ash and smoke, he addressed himself to God. You're going to get angry, I know. You're going to punish your children. But look, I'm asking you to forgive them. Let me be the one to die, me. Leave the others to suffer what they are already suffering. You can forget the rain even. You can leave the dust lying on the ground. But please, don't punish the men of this land. The following day, they found Ernesto hugging the current of the river, chilled by the early morning mist. When they tried to raise him, 
they found him heavy and impossible to separate from the water. The strongest men were brought to the task, but their efforts were in vain. The body was stuck to the surface of the river. A strange feeling of dread spread among those present. To hide their fear, someone said, Go and tell his wife. Tell the others that the village madman has died. And they withdrew. As they were climbing the bank, the clouds clashed. The sky seemed to cough sullenly as if it were sick. In different circumstances, they would have celebrated the coming of the rain. Not now. For the first time, their faiths joined together, pleading that it might not rain. Impassive, the river flowed on into the distance, laughing at the ignorance of men. Ernesto Timber, gently lulled by the current, was carried downstream and shown the byways he had only glimpsed in his dreams. The End So in this story, we, we follow Ernesto Timber, a fisherman. Uh, he, he spent 30 years on the river and he makes what he considers to be a supreme sacrifice to end the drought on his, on his village or on his hometown. I don't, I, I'm not quite sure. It's not precise whether it's a village or a city, but given the kind of settings, like a fisherman and it seems quite a rural setting. The defining moment of his life uh, so to speak, occurs one day when he's out fishing and sees a majestic white bird flying above him. It seems as if he says, well, he makes a wish, uh, which turns out to be some kind of a prayer. Uh, he wishes that the bird will fall onto his cano. Uh, initially, his plan was for to eat it. Uh, he was wishing for the, the, the bird to fall on his cano so he could take it home to eat. But when the bird falls on the cano, he's taken aback by this. And he begins to believe that not only is the bird a sign from God, but that God has chosen him to be a messenger on earth to remind people that it's more important to be kind in times of hardship uh, than it is in terms of, of plenty. Right? That anybody can be kind when there's plenty, but in, in a drought like what the village was going through at the time, it is more important, it's more difficult and it's more important to be kind and so instead of taking the bird home for food as he had originally intended what he does is that he builds this very large cage for it right and even though there's a famine at the time he takes the food like the fish that he's caught for his family and all the provisions that he had for his family and he feeds these birds instead and uh, upon timber's wish uh god gives the bird a mate or a wife you know, uh, and then the family, the bird's family increases to five. And, you know, the, the, the family of birds is living off the resources of the land while the people are starving. Uh, Timba stops caring about his family, stops caring about everybody else, and he cares just about the birds. And the mem- rest of the members of his family and the village become convinced that he's mad. Eventually, the members of his hometown, of his village, get tired of you know, the situation. And what they do is that they set fire to the birdcage. And when Timba finds this out, he's convinced that God is going to let his wrath loose on the people for failing the test of kindness and endurance. And what he does in reaction to this is that he drowns himself, right? He gives himself as a sacrifice. And even though the people try to rescue him when they found out that he's drowning, they fail. 
And what's interesting is that his death brings about the end of the drought, right? His sacrifice, his faith, brings about the anticipated miracle, you know, ends the drought, people have rain, and presumably that means that, you know, near future they're going to get like food or something. Now there are two ways uh, one could think about this story. If you read this quite literally, you could you could start to ask the question of, uh, you can think of it as a religious, as an inquiry into religion in some sense. The author may be asking us to question the role that religion plays in our lives. Right? What do we consider are signs from God? And what are the extents to which we are able to make sacrifices for our faith? And whether those sacrifices actually make sense? So in this story, we see that Ernesto sacrificed the food that he was meant to feed his family with for the birds. Right? And I'm sure that uh, as listeners, you would have also seen many people who make sacrifices of their time, of their money, you know, the energy of their resources, sometimes to the detriment of the people who are close to them. And they do this, you know, because they believe that this is what God wants of them. But then, do these sacrifices actually make sense? Or is the meaning of the sacrifices only constructed by the person making them? You see other villagers looking at Ernesto and thinking that he was mad. But was he really crazy? Or was God really speaking to him? Right? Was it just a coincidence that the drought ended on the day he sacrificed himself? Or was he really as a result of the sacrifice? We can never really know, right? We can only know that the drought ended at the end of his sacrifice, that he, when he died, he started to rain again. But that's an interesting way to think about this. Maybe one of the interpretations of this story would be thinking about the role of the sacrifices that we make for our faiths, whether they make sense, uh, and how much importance to give to the interpretation of the events that happen to us in life. Right? Did the bird just fall down? Was purely coincidence, or was it sent by God, and so on and so forth. Another interpretation of the story can be more political. If you read the story carefully, you see that there's a sudden descent of white birds on the village, which grow fat on the land's resources while the people suffer. You can think about this as being evocative uh, of the arrival of colonial masters in Africa and the exploitation of the people on the land. And in some sense, the burning of the birds would symbolize, you know, the various independence movements in Africa where people were fighting to reclaim themselves and, you know, things got a bit violent, you know, between the Africans and the Europeans. And we can also see this some uh, symbolism in, this, in the sense that when the white birds die, then the end of the drought occurs, right? In some sense, maybe the author is saying like when the, when the white people left Africa and started to prosper. I don't know. I don't know which of these interpretations is more likely. It would be interesting to know what you think when you, you know, if you listen to this story or if you've read it. Anyways, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. You can also post about it on social media or leave a rating and review on iTunes. To catch the latest about the podcast, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Storytime with Bemsey. That's one word. Thank you very much once again, and I'll see you next time.